What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Sicko Sports Podcast. Thank you guys for being with me this Friday. You know what it is. You know what's coming up tomorrow, so you know what this podcast episode is going to be all about. Yeah, I'm talking about UFC 276, Adesanya Cannoneer. This is a deep dive if you are a fan of the early prelims. If you're a fan of the prelims, if you like getting in early, this is the episode for you. This is a podcast for you. And of course, you know we're going to dive in to the main card itself. We got my boy Sugar, Sean O'Malley, taking on his first top 10 opponent in Pedro Munoz. Never been finished, never been stopped. What I think is going to happen in that fight, Robbie Lawler, it's all over the place. And of course, we cannot forget Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, three, who's walking away with that belt and the main event itself Israel Asanya, Jared Cannonier. We know how big of a favorite Izzy is. Can Jared Cannonier get it done? No matter all the disbelief and how much Izzy say that he's gonna style on him in this fight, do I think he can get it done? All of that plus a new segment today, a new segment called Flex of the Week, where we get to highlight an athlete and whatever he's flexing that week, whether it's a new car, a new watch, a new house. The birth of a new baby boy or baby girl or a brand new contract. We will get in and I will every Friday tell you the flex of the week as we highlight an athlete for all that they deserve, how they got here, a little backstory about them. Can't wait to debut that segment. Stay tuned. Episode 63 of the 6 Sports Podcast. Let's get into it. Alright guys, let's get straight into it. We're going to start from the main card. Don't want to keep you guys waiting too long and start from the early prelims. We're going to go main card and then go to the early prelims and work our way back up to the main event of the prelims. So stick with me. Let's get straight into it. Who else better to talk about than the person I love talking about? My favorite fighter on the roster currently, Sugar Sean O'Malley. He's the man. He finally gets his time to prove to everybody what they've been doubting. This man has a record that he has. I'm not even allowed to say what his record is because I'll be kicked out of the Sugar Sean fan club. Mr. Undefeated Sean O'Malley gets his first real test now against a top 10 opponent in Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz is a bad, bad man. He has only lost, guys, only lost to current or former champions of that division. Never been finished, never been stopped. Pedro Munoz is a real problem. A guy who many feel can give Sean those problems. Someone who's not afraid to walk forward, has big power of his own, can get inside, wants to fight from the inside, can grapple. Will Sean O'Malley's grappling be taken to the test? Will we finally get to see this grappling that, you know, as somebody that follows Sean O'Malley, I've seen the amount of time and effort he puts into jujitsu, into grappling. He's been in grappling tournaments. He's done other things outside of the UFC that have shown off his grappling skills, but nobody's really seen it. And everybody's big question is, can Sean O'Malley do it? Is Sean O'Malley a, a grappler? Can he take it there if it needs to be taken there? Uh, nobody's had the success. Everybody's tried. Even Sean has alluded to it time and time again. He said it. Hey, we know what the game plan is. Everybody has the same game plan against me. It's kick my legs, get me up against the cage, take me down, and try to beat me up on the ground or try to submit me. Now, I know you may be saying, well, that sounds like Cheeto's game plan in that fight. Well, that's where everybody thinks is the place to win. If you remember, Cheeto didn't take Sean down. Sean went down. You can say it was from the leg kicks. Sean will disagree. But because of that, that is the game plan, something that Daniel Cormier Yes, we know Sugar Sean O'Malley, Daniel Cormier. They haven't been seeing eye to eye for a while now. But something Daniel Cormier alluded to, and he said, hey, all we really have to go off of is that fight. So if that's everybody's game plan and that's what we say should be the game plan to defeat you, it's because that's really all we have to go off of. Nobody else has really had you hurt. Maybe you can say Chris Moutinho with the pressure, but I mean, that fight wasn't close. If it went to the scorecard, I don't, I don't know what the scorecard would have looked like. I mean, who who knows what the scorecard could it have been a 50 
you know, uh, or a 30-26, 30-25. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how many 10-8s were in those three rounds. People forget it was just a three-round fight. It had lasted. The punches that accumulated on Chris Moutinho's head seemed like it was a five-round fight that even I just now forgot. That was only three rounds. So, yes, maybe that's the game plan, but tell me how that game plan worked out for you. Pedro Munoz, way different level. Much, much higher caliber of a fighter than Chris Moutinho. I get that. But in this situation with Sean O'Malley, I think you have to have something different. I think you have to match him with reach. Match him with that frame, with that size, where he can't play at a distance. He can't stay on his range. Have somebody that can touch him on that outside. Or it needs to be a elite-level grappler. Somebody who, hey, it doesn't matter whether you're Sugar Sean or Mally or not. It's not about them. This guy is just such a good grappler that he's taking everybody to the ground. And he's wearing on everybody in his top uh, Habib Namagomedov, Islam Makhachev of the 135-pound division, if you will. That's what it would take for me to say, man, I, it's hard for me to, to go sugar in this situation. But against Pedro Munoz, and again, no disrespect to Pedro Munoz, I'm not saying Pedro is incapable of winning this fight. What I'm saying is I can't really see the path to victory. He's going to have to try to get on the inside. We know that. He's going to try to kick the legs. We know that. We know he's going to try to get inside, land some shots from the inside. The problem is... Can he get there? Is he good enough at cutting off angles? Can he time Sean O'Malley's punches? Can he time Sean O'Malley's strikes to get inside, close the range? And then does he have that ability to really work the body and do all those things? We know he has big punch into power, right? Sean knows he has big punch into power. But Sean O'Malley, guys, he's, he's not there to get hit. That's not his style. When you looked at somebody like Cody Garbrandt, for instance, Pedro Munoz knocks out Cody Garbrandt. That was a big deal at the time. Maybe now it doesn't seem as much of a big deal, but at that time it seemed like a big deal. We didn't really expect him to be able to do that to Cody. But Cody will stand in the pocket and swing and bang with you. Sugar Sean O'Malley is not that type of fighter. He's not willing to exchange in those in those exchanges. He's not willing to get into those sequences and say, hey, let's both bite down. Let's sit to where you can hit me, I can hit you, and let's just throw hooks until someone goes to sleep. He doesn't do that. So how does Pedro strategically get inside, maybe get to his body, maybe get to a point where he takes him down? And we're assuming that Sean doesn't have great takedown defense. We're assuming that Sean O'Malley doesn't have great jujitsu and can threaten off of his back, which we don't know. We could see it in this fight. And that's what's really interesting. This could be a fight where you see Pedro Munoz get to his legs. We could see him get down, change levels, get to a single leg or get to a double leg and then we see Sean O'Malley's takedown defense. We can see the fight go to the ground, and then we see Sean O'Malley's uh, jiu-jitsu game. Those are real possibilities in this fight, and that's what makes this fight interesting for me. But I still can't give Pedro Munoz the path to victory. I can't say if it turns in to a bit of a wrestling match, if there's scrambles, if they get to a place where they have to scramble, if they get to a place where Sean might have to work off his back for a little bit, then Pedro clearly has the advantage. I can't say that. Because I don't know. I haven't seen Sean O'Malley in those situations. I haven't seen him put in those situations. So little do I know if Pedro can even get to that to those exchanges, if he can get to those positions, let alone do I think that Sean is incapable of doing it. I don't know, but that's what makes this fight so interesting. And for Sean O'Malley, we know what's going on. We know if he wins this fight, <laughs> he ain't going backwards. UFC doesn't operate that way. UFC's not going to find somebody as marketable as Sean O'Malley and say, hey, he just beat the number nine ranked guy in the division. Let's give him Adrian Yanez or let's give him one. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. If Sean O'Malley beats Pedro Munoz, he's moving up again. He's taking that next fight. I would assume that Cheeto beating uh dominic cruz could lead to a title fight but who knows maybe sean o'malley wins and maybe they go let's jump the queue and get sean o'malley cheeto vera rematch let's get sean o'malley and, and rob font maybe or somebody somebody in the top five sean o'malley may very well be two fights a win from a title shot guys if he wins this fight might be three fights a win but hell he could be two fights a win he could get this fight fight a top five opponent get a title shot right after that we really could see that especially considering if he knocks out Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz has never been stopped in the UFC. Nobody has been able to finish him. 
No one's been able to knock him out. TKO, nothing. Sean O'Malley says, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one to deliver those shots. And when you look at Sean O'Malley and you look at his rate and you look at his striking rate, you look at his striking percentage, we know Sean O'Malley is going to land some shots in this fight. We know he's going to touch the chin of Pedro Munoz. The thing is, is it shots that Pedro doesn't see coming? Is it those shots that put Pedro down or put him out? That's what we're going to have to find out on Pedro's side of it. Will he be there enough times for Sean O'Malley to touch it? Because when you look at him, guys, I don't care if it was Chris Martino. I don't care if it was guys like Thomas Almeida or Eddie Wineland or Hallie and Paiva, all these guys that he fought that you said, oh, he can't, you know, these, these are cans. These are cans. Okay. I don't care if they're cans or not. If they're cans and he's split decision victory, if he's winning by decision, if there's a case to be made that maybe they were winning some rounds against him or they had better, you know, performances or they looked better than him at times or in positions than maybe. But in those cases, guys, even if they're cans, he did what you should do to a can. You crush him. You crush him. If you're put up against a can and you're a legit top level fighter, you should make it look like light work. And against those guys in particular that I just mentioned, he made it look like light work. They couldn't touch him. They couldn't see him. And he touched their chin repeatedly until they went out. Some quicker than others. Chris Martino's case never really went out, but still got a TKO loss. But my point being is even against cans, the rate your work rate, your efficiency rate, and your striking percentage, right? The amount of strikes that you land compared to the amount that you throw, those things still translate. Maybe not at the same level, but they still translate. It's kind of like rebounding in, in college basketball. Yeah, maybe you're not going to get 20 rebounds a game in, in the pros, but if you're that good of a rebounder in college, you're going to be a good rebounder in the NBA. That's how I view it when it comes to those statistics. I don't care if you're fighting outside of the top 15. If that's the level of work rate you have, if you can throw that many punches per round and seem to not gas, seem to not get tired, and on top of that, you are landing at that percentage, at that rate, yeah, it might dip a little bit, but you're still finding people's chins. You're still landing strikes. You're still having that same uh, work rate and efficiency no matter who you fight against. The problem is, that guy's going to have more for you coming back than your previous opponent. So obviously, without a doubt, my money's on Sean O'Malley. You know who I'm rooting for. Nothing against Pedro. Sean O'Malley's my dude, man. I can never root against Sean O'Malley. That's my guy all day long. Sugar, Sean O'Malley, second round TKO. Book it. That's what's happening. Let's go, Sugar Sean. Uh, next on the card, and I could talk, talk about Sugar Sean's fight all the whole podcast, but next, Robbie Lawler, Brian Barberina. Guys, did I mention how stacked this card was? This card is so freaking stacked. It's been a while since I've seen a pay-per-view this stacked. It's been a while since I've seen a pay-per-view this much. Speaks to a little bit of Jared Cannonier and Israel Adesanya. We'll get to that, but it's still a stacked card. And in this insanely stacked card, this could be fight of the night. This is looked at as a potential fight of the night. This is one of those, if you don't know now, you know, which everybody knows who Robbie Lawler is. Everybody should know who Robbie Lawler is. And Brian Barberina, that dude is a savage. You don't believe me? Go watch his last fights. Go see what he does, the way he stands and trades. It's Kind of an ideal matchup for Robbie in terms of being able to see him win. Somebody's just going to stand in front of him and want to brawl it out. We know Robbie is very dangerous when that's what you want to do. However, Brian Barberina's got some power. He's shown that he could take a punch. And Robbie Lawler at his stage in his career, how's that chin? We're not sure. It was tough to, to examine the chin against Nick Diaz. Nick looked like he couldn't really put much sting on his punches. No disrespect to Nick Diaz. Also looked a little out of shape. Nick Diaz looked in way better shape eight weeks before the fight than he did of fight night. It was the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. Nick Diaz posted a picture on Instagram, like, way out. I don't even know if he had the fight booked yet. I think maybe there was some speculation that he might have a fight booked. But it wasn't news yet that he was fighting Robbie Lawler. And he had a picture when he's ripped. He has his shirt off, six-pack, looks phenomenal. Everyone's like, oh, damn, Nick Diaz looks to be in the best shape of his life. And then he shows up on fight day, bloated, 
looking by far the worst shape we've ever seen Nick Diaz in. And we were sitting around going, what the hell? This doesn't make any sense. So I can't really put too much stock into that fight for Robbie Lawler. However, Robbie still showed that he can land some shots, man, that he can really wear on you. And if you stick around too long and you take one in the bad spot, because one thing about Nick is Nick is still a slick boxer. However you want to slice him at his age with that long of a layoff and being a little out of shape, out of shape in terms of what we're used from Nick Diaz, not out of shape in the general public's terms, of course. He's a little bit out of shape in that regard. So even with that being said, Nick Diaz is still really, really slick as a boxer. And if Robbie Lawler can piece him up, get him into a no-moss situation, he could do it against Brian Barberina because Brian Barberina is going to be there to get hit. The problem is how many of shots does Robbie Lawler absorb and can he take those shots at his age with the knockouts he's had in his career? How is that chin? We know he's not going to quit. We know he's going to bite down and stand there with you. This has all the potential to be fight of the night worthy. This is a fight I'm really excited for. Minus 120 for Robbie Lawler, plus 100 for Brian Barberina. Robbie Lawler, this is basically even money fight right here. Take your pick. Vegas doesn't know which way to go with this. I don't really know which way to go with this either. If I'm going to give you something to bet about, I just told my boy, bet on the under. He said he found it two and a half rounds. Bet on the under. These guys are going to be there to get hit by each other. Somebody's going down. It's really, really hard for me to imagine this going three rounds to going to a decision. Very difficult for me. So I'm going to go with the under. Can't give you a winner. I really can't. Gun to the head. I guess I'd say Brian Barberina just for the fact that he has real power in his hands and I haven't seen Robbie really, I mean, ever really in his career have great head movement and be evasive and not get hit. And at this stage of his career, I can't imagine that his chin is better than it used to be, which I'm not saying Robbie Lawler had a poor chin, but he's been knocked out. He's been knocked out. When you get knocked out and you're at this age and you haven't, I don't, I don't know what his... I don't know what his training is like. I don't know how much sparring he's doing, how much more he's been hitting the head since his last fight or before that fight and the other one before that. Like, I'm not sure. But Brian Barberina is younger. Power in his hands. I would have to go with him, but that's if I absolutely had to. I don't want to. Like I said in this one, the safer bet for me would just be the under on two and a half rounds for this one. Uh, next on the third fight out, uh, two fights before the main event is the wild man, the just insane maniac, Sean Strickland against Alex Pereira. If you don't know Alex Pereira, he has beaten Israel Adesanya, the current champion, twice in their kickboxing careers. So needless to say, a lot of attention on this fight, maybe by Izzy, maybe by the rest of the UFC, Dana White, and the matchmakers in particular, the reason why you know that this is their selling point, this is their golden goose. Israel Adesanya is their golden goose, for sure. But this is the guy they need for Israel Adesanya. There's no doubt in my mind that everybody in that building, no disrespect to Sean Strickland, I'm not saying they dislike Sean Strickland, but there's no doubt in my mind that these guys don't want Alex Pereira to win. Because if Pereira wins... They've got somebody. They got a storyline. You can't. What's what's the storyline anywhere else? Where's their storyline anywhere else? It's not. Uh, I mean, it's not Robert Whitaker anymore. It's not Marvin Vittori again, is it? It's definitely not Paulo Costa. It's not Derek Brunson. Even Sean Strickland. Yeah, that's it's the win-win scenario here because you get new blood in the division. But I don't know how many people are looking at Sean Strickland and thinking he could legitimately beat Izzy with his current style. I think that, in my opinion, guys, Sean Strickland and Israel Adesanya would be such a boring fight. I just, I, I just can't imagine the UFC wanting to see that. Sean Strickland's style, I called him crazy. I called him a psychopath. Guys, I hope Sean Strickland never hears this. I don't think he will, but I hope he doesn't because he might kill me. But Sean Strickland's a crazy man and a psychopath. For the media, on Twitter, in the cage, he's not a psychopath and a crazy man. In the cage, he's a defensive fighter who likes to stay at range, 
who likes to play a lot of defense. He has really good have movement. He doesn't absorb a lot of strikes, and he just lands clean shots. Nothing with too much power, nothing crazy. He doesn't put people's lights out. Most of his fights go to decision, and he just peppers up, peppers up, peppers up. And he just is a really good defensive fighter that has pretty good boxing. And he's well-rounded. You know, he's well-rounded all around. I'm not saying he's not a good fighter. I'm not saying he shouldn't be number four in the division, which he is. What I'm saying is he doesn't have reckless abandon. He doesn't have these knockouts that you can rave about and you can go back and watch all these highlights about Sean Strickland. He just doesn't really have that. So I would imagine him and Israel Adesanya, it would be such a technical fight. I think if you're like a pure striking um savant and you just love really high level strikers and you love it when they're just really patient if you can remember at best at best sean strickland it is through adesanya ends up very similar to darren till and robert whitaker where it was just so technical and everything was just this close everything that they threw was just oh and then they got each other a few times but it wasn't huge damage in that fight there wasn't a lot of damage done by either guy uh, it was just so technical and it was just so stressful. I remember watching that fight just like, Jesus Christ, I don't, waiting for something to happen and nothing really happened. I mean, there was no legit point where either one of them were, you know, on the verge of being finished. And I think at the very best, that's what Sean Strickland and Israel Adesanya do. At the very worst, Sean Strickland is a defensive fighter, isn't good enough offensively. He doesn't really touch Izzy. Izzy outpoints him and it's a really boring fight. For that reason, I think, People are leaning to Alex Pereira, and in this fight, minus 110, minus 110 here on the UFC odds. I saw earlier that Alex was a little bit of a favorite over Sean. For whatever reason, I'm not seeing it anymore. I'm seeing even money, complete even money for both guys. It's a big jump for Alex, though. We don't know, or I don't know. People know. I don't know Sean Strickland's caliber of wrestling. I don't know his grappling grappling levels i'm not sure how good he is on the ground or how good he is in taking a fight to the ground i haven't really seen it that's not really his style what he wants to do he said time and time again leading up to this fight that he's more than willing to stand and trade with alex Pereira. but a lot of people feel like his best best route to victory is to take alex down and you know show him what it is because alex still hasn't had that much experience in mma to assume that he has a great defense on the ground and he has really high level jujitsu if he does then the dude's going to be the champion like if his takedown defense is remarkable and he just starts submitting dudes off his back he'll be champion but i don't think that's going to happen um i'm not sure if that'll happen but we get to see it maybe maybe sean strickland again his style so far is kind of fancies himself as a boxer as a striker so we'll see that's a very dangerous game in my opinion against alex and i think that's why it's even money voice just cracked cool i think that's why it's even money right now because people are thinking that sean strickland's going to just stand and engage in a, in a striking battle against him and if he does a lot of people feel like that's the worst thing you can do against this guy <sighs> man i would hate to get an unranked guy and say that he's gonna beat the number four ranked guy in the world i just can't nothing against alex Pereira. i just can't i can't do it i have to see this fight uh, play out i haven't seen enough from him to say that he can beat the number four ranked guy in the world i mean even sean o'malley two three fights ago i couldn't tell you that he'd beat the number four ranked bantamweight at that time no matter who it was against you need to see a little bit more from him so because of that i'm gonna have to stick with sean strickland but i very well know this is not a confident pick this is a pick where i'm saying i'm gonna pick strickland until you show me something else but i kind of believe in you i kind of believe that you will show me something else so let me see it there was a video of him doing a, a spinning heel kick, I think, whatever it was. I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was doing some kick, you know, some practice. And that shit looked like it would knock out a horse. I was watching it just, oh my God, if you would ever hit somebody with that. And we've seen Alex Pereira. He has crazy knockout power in both hands, in both feet, in both knees. He's a dangerous, dangerous dude, but... Can we see it against Sean Strickland, especially being the fact that, like I said, as much as Sean Strickland talks about standing in the pocket and throwing with him and, and wanting to exchange standing that he feels like he still has the advantage from a boxing standpoint, Sean Strickland, like I said, talks a lot of stuff. 
And I'm not saying he doesn't back it up because he shouldn't. He should always fight smart. I'm not saying like, oh, this is why I don't like him or why he's not real or anything like that. No, no, no. He should do exactly what he's been doing. But when he says all these things, you find it different in the cage. I mean, there's so many fights now. I think two fights in a row now that he's apologized after winning because he's like, I didn't get the knockout. I didn't get the finish. I didn't have the performance that I really wanted, but it is what it is. So because of that, it's like, is he going to exchange or is he going to be a lot more defensive like he usually is? Is he going to try to get takedowns? I don't know Sean Strickland's game plan, but I know it isn't go forward with reckless abandonment. If he was that type of fighter, even if he had more knockouts to his resume, I would probably lean more towards Alex Pereira just because that's a very dangerous, dangerous way to fight this man. Moving on to the people's main event. Yes, I said it. No disrespect, Israel Adesanya. But... This is the main event, guys. This is the people's main event. This is the one everyone's clamoring about. This is the one that the whole entire arena erupted whenever they brought them up for the press conference, whenever they had the face-offs. Everyone popped for Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky. Max Holloway, in particular, Las Vegas and Ninth Island. Max Holloway has always refers to Vegas, how much he loves it, and they show the love right back, booing Alexander Volkanovsky, which is kind of hard to do. When you look at Alex, when you look at Volk, his performances against Brian Ortega and Korean Zombie, his last two title defenses, neither one of those guys are Max. I get that. I think Max beats both of them 10 out of 10 times. We saw it with Brian Ortega. When you go back and watch that fight, I can never imagine a situation or a time where Brian Ortega beats Max Holloway. And I'm the biggest Brian Ortega fan. Like I, he's my favorite in the division. Well, you said Sean O'Malley was your favorite fighter on the roster. Yeah, Sean O'Malley is my favorite fighter on the roster. Brian Ortega is my favorite fighter in that division specifically. And even with that being said, I, I can never imagine Brian Ortega beating Max Holloway in a fight. I can never imagine Korean Zombie beating Max Holloway in a fight. So I understand that. But the performances that Alexander put on in those two fights, how, how does he not win you over? How do you not think of him as a worthy champion? The dude is skilled in every aspect of MMA. He might be the most well-rounded fighter in the entire MMA roster, in the entire UFC, maybe in all of MMA. We do, I mean, you got to see the other people, but in the UFC roster, he might be the most talented, most well-rounded fighter in all of it. And with that being said, I mean, if you're the most well-rounded in MMA, you're probably pound for pound number one. Kamaru Usman has a lot to say about that. Israel Adesanya would have to say a lot about that. But when it comes to grappling, when it comes to striking, on every aspect of striking, every aspect of grappling, the dude can do everything. He can take you down. He can knock you down. He can kick your legs out. He can kick your head off. He can punch you. He can work all levels. We saw against Brian Ortega that you can have the best jiu-jitsu guy in the division wrapped around his neck and somehow with that championship pedigree, that championship heart, somehow get out of it and then beat the brace off of him. Alexander Volkanovsky has won me over and won my respect to the champion. With that being said, I'm always going to be biased to Max Holloway. How do you not love Max Holloway? And this is a fight that we needed to see because the last two fights were so razor thin. In my opinion, I gave Alexander Volkanovsky the first fight. I gave Max Holloway the second fight. That's how I have it. Most people have a 1-1 split. I know Volk always loves to say, I'm 2-0, I'm 2-0 against him. And he threw that in his face a little bit, which you can't disagree, right? You can't disagree. He is 2-0 against him, but it's a spectator sport. Fighting always has been, always will be a spectator sport. And when the majority, the large majority of the spectators feel like you lost a fight, you can't really own it like that you probably throw it out to mess with his head a little bit but deep down inside i know volkanovsky doesn't truly own that second victory against max holloway maybe not even the first victory he definitely doesn't feel like he lost those fights does he feel like he really beat max holloway it's hard when so much of the public disagree with you it's hard when so much of the public disagrees but here's your chance and i think that you can tell that it's been sitting with him a little bit because he's starting to say things that we really didn't hear in the last couple. Last couple, it was just Max is good. Max is good. It's going to be a tough fight. It's going to be a tough fight. Where now it's like, I'm going to finish him. I'm going to finish him. 
I don't think it's getting out of the third round. I don't think it's going to be like that, but I'm going to finish him. I'm going to be the first person to drop Max Holloway. I'm going to be the first person to finish Max Holloway. And, of course, Max not having any of that. The uh, press conference was amazing. I haven't seen Max talk like this in a while. Max is always confident. Max is always confident, but it's usually a very playful confidence in himself. And, oh, we'll see, we'll see. In this situation, he looked like he was very confident. I mean, he was damn near guaranteeing that victory and guaranteeing that he was going to be the one to stop Volkanovski and saying we're going to find out. He's going to find out. He doesn't know what's coming. Like, he's going to find out with everybody else. We'll see, man. We'll see what Max's game plan is. When you have two guys, it's hard when you have two guys of this caliber, two guys that are this high level, and they've already fought twice to imagine a knockout in the third fight. Unless one of them's like chin has deteriorated to a certain point, or if one of them has gotten significantly better, where they have just surpassed the other one in terms of skill level. Um, it, it, unless those two things happen, it's hard to imagine that fight not going to a decision. Because what other tricks up your sleeve do you have you've spent? So many times, you know what I mean? You've spent 10 rounds. Spent 10 rounds in there with each other, and neither one of you could get a finish. Why is that going to change in the third fight? So I, I, I really don't think, I can't really see either one of them, but maybe, maybe, maybe Volk's right. Maybe Max Holloway's chin is deteriorating, and he's taking too much damage in his last couple fights. The last one, of course, being Yair, where he did take a quite a bit of damage in that fight, dished out more, but maybe he did take quite a bit of damage. Maybe Volk is onto something. Maybe Max is getting older and maybe doesn't have that chin. And maybe Max is right. Maybe Max is better than he's ever been. Maybe Max feels like he found holes and found flaws in Volk's game and he's going to finally exploit him this time. I don't know. I don't know how you look at these two guys and feel extremely confident that one of them is going to finish the other, especially when it's this high level. These aren't two guys that are just going in there and swinging shit and somehow, some way, they didn't get to finish the last time. Like, these two guys have been in there with each other. They know their tendencies. They know what kind of power is coming at them. They know what shots to be careful of, what shots they know where their openings are going to be, but they know where their holes are going to be themselves against that person in particular. So it's hard to imagine it going, uh, not going to a decision. And if it does, I just, I can't help but, but think max is gonna win this one i can't help but think max is finally gonna get it done it's hard to imagine somebody beating max holloway three times again spectator sport nobody really thinks he's beat him twice already uh but he has on the judges scorecard which is the only one that really matters in terms of paychecks and you know getting the belt getting the pay-per-view buys percentage that's that's all that matters is the judges and the judges gave him two it's hard for me to imagine judges saying that Volkanovski beat Max Holloway three times in a row so because of that I think Max Holloway makes makes the necessary changes slight adjustments again we saw the slight adjustments from fight one to fight two what are the adjustments to fight two to fight three which Volk has a great team I'm sure he's gonna have great adjustments too it's just so razor thin minus 190 for Volk plus 160 for Max so razor thin that I have to go Max and he's the underdog so you know, you don't make money betting the favorite. So go on Max. I'm taking Max by a, a decision victory. I'm going to give him three, two, three rounds to two over Volkanovski. Max Holloway by decision getting the belt back. Yes, the best is going to be blessed this Saturday. Uh, Israel Adesanya, Jared Cannonier. Finally, we are here at the main event. Can Jared Cannonier do it? The biggest underdog on the entire main card, uh, even Pedro Munoz is a plus 245, where Jared Cannonier is a plus 330 against Izzy. Izzy a minus 410 in this fight. So needless to say, Vegas is not giving Jared Cannonier much credit. I don't think people are giving Jared Cannonier the credit he deserves, but I could be wrong. I felt the same way when it came to Paulo Costa. I felt like Paulo was very dangerous. I felt like there could be a situation just because I think I let the size and the power of these guys influenced me to feel like hey Izzy could be in danger here and then the fight starts and you're just like golly they can't see him they can't touch him there's no threat he's chewing up their legs all of those things and what he did to Paula Costa I mean who knows who knows can Jared Cannonier get the fight to the ground 
who knows is he gonna try to get the fight to the ground I, I would assume that would have to be kind of in his game plan which Derek Cannonier is not Daniel Cormier you know he's not this super high level wrestler but you would assume you would imagine that that could be his best way to victory um who knows if Jared Cannonier is going to be able to get it, but I love Jared Cannonier's demeanor. I love the way he handles himself. I love the way he carries himself. Looked a little bit, did look a little bit, um, you know, out of place, to be honest, in the press fight, in the in the press conference, in the pre-fight press conference, uh, was rambling a lot, you know, sounded like he had a full podcast to himself. You know, even Izzy had to say, hey, let's wrap it up, man. You get asked one question and you're just throwing out all different types of phrases and just i mean he's kind of boring i'm not gonna lie jerry kennedy has never been great on the mic but we don't need him to be he doesn't need to be he just needs to be somebody that can shock the world this isn't quite an amanda nunez and juliana pena situation we're talking about here but jerry kennedy is a plus 330 in a title fight in a main event title fight being a plus 330 is a big big deal that's something that you really have to overcome mentally and that's something that if he beats israel adesanya who would ever imagine that when you have somebody like uh, Robert Whitaker fight Israel Adesanya twice, that it would actually be Jared Cannonier to take the title from him and beat him. But this is what Jared Cannonier is looking at. This has to fire him up. And there's something beautiful. There's something magical about having a big underdog where everybody thinks you're going to get smoked. Israel Adesanya saying time and time again that this is going to be one of his best performances of his UFC career, that he's going to style on him. He even compared it to... Uh, um. Anderson Silva and I believe Forrest Griffin, which if you remember that fight, goodness gracious, Forrest Griffin was just looking like a drunk man as Anderson Silva was just piecing him up. Adesanya compared it to that fight saying, that's what I'm going to do to him. There's something beautiful when you feel like you're going in there and no expectations are on you. There's something dangerous about it when you walk into a fight and you go, everyone expects me to lose. No one expects me to do this. It makes you a very dangerous opponent, and Jared Cannonier is a dangerous guy. This isn't some late replacement, hasn't really earned his spot, but there's really no one else. And the main guy who we wanted to see fell out, so he jumped in and took it on short notice. This isn't what's happening. Jared Cannonier put in the work that he needed to put in. He lost to Robert Whitaker, but he, he didn't get destroyed by Robert Whitaker. Yeah, kind of. But, you know, lost to Robert Whitaker, but then beat the guys he needed to beat. You know, beat to Calvin Gasolum, beats all these guys, beat Derek Brunson, who was streaking at the time to get this title shot with Izzy. So it's well-deserved. Izzy mentioned it even before the Whitaker fight. He said if Cannonier beats Whitaker, he should be the next one in line. He's the one that deserves it. Cannonier unfortunately dropped the ball in that situation, but got himself right back here. It is tough for me to see a path to victory for Jared Cannonier. It's pretty much we're living on a prayer you know we're we're hoping and wishing on a prayer here we're hoping that if you're Jared Cannonier's team now well yeah I don't want to see Izzy lose personally but if you're rooting for Jared Cannonier, if you're an Izzy hater or you're a Jared fan whichever way you want to go what you're doing is wishing hoping that Jared Cannonier can land something big you're looking for one big shot not really a strategic setup to to I mean, it's strategic setup for the shot, for the one shot, but you're not looking at him to just own Izzy in any situation. You're not looking at him to just do something in the striking exchanges where it's like, oh, Izzy really just can't handle this that he's doing repeatedly, or Cannonier just taking him down easily, beating him up, keeping him, holding him down. You can't really rely on those things. So what you're hoping for is Cannonier just, Izzy gets sloppy, Izzy gets lazy, he gets a little too overconfident, and Cannonier lands a big shot because Cannonier has power to good night put your lights out you're hoping for that from izzy's side you're just hoping that izzy's izzy that he stays defensive stays smart keeps his range was able to work in the leg kicks like he did against paulo costa uses his feints just fights a smart smart fight i don't know if this one's gonna be over i think that would be the biggest if i would have to say that there is an upset uh, happening it would be the upset of betting Israel Adesanya for a finish. I could see Jared Cannonier just being durable enough to make it all five rounds. I can see a situation where Izzy's just piecing him up, but Cannonier's just still there like a dog in his face trying to get something, trying to land that big shot I'm telling you about, and then just can't do it. And Izzy kind of cruises to a, a decision victory, which everyone's going to talk about Izzy and oh, he can't finish anybody. This is what we're talking about. Yada, 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 yada. Um, but I do see 
Israel Adesanya winning this fight. It's just so hard, man. It's so hard to imagine somebody beating Izzy at this stage in this division. I don't think Jerry Cannonier is the best fighter in that division, to be honest. Like, I think Marvin Vittori gives him a world of problems. I think that uh, Robert Whitaker beats him again, time and time again, if they fight again. And Izzy's already beat those two guys twice. And I, I don't like MMA math. I'm not doing MMA math. I'm not saying he's beaten Robert Whitaker twice and Marvin Vittori twice. Therefore, he's going to easily beat Jared Cannonier. I hate MMA math. It doesn't work like that. We know styles make the matchup, not who you beat compared to who you beat. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just hard to say somebody has beaten the very best in the division twice. And now he has somebody who I, I just... Don't think is the best in the division, but anything can happen. That's why we watch it. That's why we love the sport. It's what gives us the Juliana Pena's beating the the Amanda Nunes. This is what gives us the Holly Holm head kicking uh, Ronda Rousey into oblivion. It's what gives us Dustin Poirier knocking out Conor McGregor in their second fight. It, we get these things time and time again. This could be one of them. Uh, early prelims jumping over. I talked about how stacked this card are. This card is, and you can see it in the early prelims. It opens up with Jessica Rose Clark and uh, Julia Stolarenko. Julia Stolarenko and Jessica Rose Clark. Jessica Rose Clark, a little more recognizable. Let's just state the obvious. Jessica Rose Clark, a bit of a looker. She ain't bad to look at. Uh, pretty girl, very unique look to her, and that's kind of how she's more recognized in the UFC. Very very active on Twitter, very active on Instagram, very active in social media, connects with the fans in a great way. She has a good relationship with the fans. She knows how to garnish media attention on herself. Of course, when you're pleasant to look at, it's a little bit easier for Jessica Rose Clark, but a girl who hasn't had the, the success she would like, kind of a 500 fighter, win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Uh, but she comes and she's game, man. She's game to throw down. Don't let the pretty face fool you. When it comes to her fighting style, you pay more attention to the tattoos because that's more of where she fights. She is a face tattoo type of fighter. She's coming forward. She's throwing shots. She's striking heavy. Uh, and I think, you know, this is a winnable fight for her. This is a winnable fight for her. And if she doesn't win this fight, you know, things get real tough for Jessica Rose Clark moving forward. If she doesn't win this one, I don't know how much longer she has with the UFC. They're going to give her all the opportunities. Very similar to, to Paige Van Zandt. If Paige Van Zandt didn't kind of go all bad on the UFC, not to say that she talked too negatively about them, but it was more so like, I can make more money outside of the UFC. I don't need you guys. You guys need more me more than I need you. And anytime Dana White feels that way, anytime Dana White feels like that's the way you're thinking of them and thinking about the UFC, we know it doesn't go so well for you. Uh, so Jessica Rose Clark... You know, she's going to be given opportunities. Oh, what I was saying was even Paige Van Zandt, even in those situations, if she didn't do that, if she didn't refuse to sign that new contract and bet on herself, they would have re-signed her to a new contract. They would have given her three, four more fights in the UFC, even though she had no business still being in the UFC. I mean, she can't, she wasn't able to win anywhere. And she went to bare knuckle boxing and, and couldn't win. You know what I mean? Like, it's tough for Paige Van Zandt out there, but she was such a pretty girl and garnished so much attention on her own through Instagram, through OnlyFans, through all that stuff. Why the hell wouldn't you still have her on your card? It's still going to bring eyeballs, even if it's not as much as she thinks to the fight game. It's still of eyeballs to the sport. So, or to your uh, brand specifically in terms of the UFC. So Jessica Rose Clark, you know, when you look at her skill set and you look at her record, you're like maybe you know maybe she doesn't really fit in there but you know i'm rooting for her man i nothing against her if she gets a win that's awesome if she doesn't you know whatever keep it moving uh jessica i macy barber this is where i start telling you that the card is stacked number 10 a uh, women's flyweight jessica i against number 13 macy barber jessica i unfortunately i really really know jessica i for two reasons reason number one getting head kicked by valentina shevchenko something like a baseball bat and getting knocked into oblivion and the other reason is once again an earl only fans girl got some pictures out there guys but you know needless to say still top 10 in the division hasn't had the career that she's wanted over the last few years kind of up and down for her as well uh, she had a promising career earlier it, it, when she started with the ufc people were kind of high on jessica i uh did not mean to rhyme there i apologize but jessica i 
did have some and she's still a veteran man she's still experienced she's she's not a punk she's not scared she's not any of that stuff she's fighting against macy barber who i also i'm not sold on macy barber either in my opinion macy barber isn't some young rising superstar even though her age would tell you that she is i feel like she's kind of regressing a little bit uh maybe it's because we put too much potential on her i can see her as kind of similar to like an edmund shabazian if you know who he is he's he's a male fighter obviously i believe he fights at 185 uh edmund but so much hype so much hype at a young age and then there was just some glaring holes some glaring weaknesses in his game where he took on a little bit too much too early and those weaknesses got exposed and now he's on the learning path again he's right back to hey we got time to fix these things. Let's just try to iron them out and fix them before we try to do this again. And Macy Barber is kind of similar to me. I think she bit off a little more than she could chew early on. Uh, got beat a couple times. She had a win over Miranda Maverick. If you remember where people did not like that decision, many, many people felt like Miranda Maverick was robbed in that fight. But Macy Barber still young, good wrestler. You know, she's, she's going to be all over Jessica I trying to take her down, try to hold her down. And Jessica I for a girl that has been here for a while, you know, those those veterans of the game, these these young girls, especially in the female division, it's like these young girls are just kind of, they had the Ronda Rouseys, they had the Joanna Yanjaychicks, they had them. So when you see the age gap in the female division, you, I always kind of want to go with the younger one just because they have had more time. It, it's more likely that they started training at a much younger age. Obviously, you can't say that about Valentina and some of these other amazing women. But even sometimes, father time just gets you. Father time just gets you. And I'm not sold on Jessica I, but I'm also not that sold on Macy Barber either. Uh, but Macy Barber minus 255 in this one for a reason. I would put my money on Macy Barber as well. I think she's just going to take Jessica I down. I think she's going to have enough control time to win the fight. Might be a little bit of a snooze fest, to be honest with you. Uh, but it still shows us a stack card because anytime you have ranked opponents, it's very rare that you have them in the early prelims. So that goes to show you and the fight that shows you how stacked, how crazily stacked this card is Uriah Hall, number nine ranked middleweight in the world against Andre Muniz. Uriah Hall for a while was getting that talk. Him and Izzy, him and Izzy, he's such a great kickboxer. He's such a unorthodox slick just throw some wild shit kickboxer that man it would be so fun to watch him and Izzy exchange in a kickboxing battle and then Uriah Hall just does what Uriah Hall has done up and down win and loss win and loss and for that reason I'm sitting here thinking man he might beat Andre Muniz he might beat him the last fight talking to you about how stacked this card is this is the main event of the early prelims not the prelims the early prelims that happen at five o'clock Central time, my time. But the early prelims, this is when this fight's happening. Uriah Hall's last fight was the main event of the UFC fight night against Sean Strickland. Lost that fight. Tough one for him. But now he's playing in, fighting against Andre Muniz. Andre Muniz, minus 285 for a reason. He looks like he's up and coming. And like I said, whenever you have those veterans who kind of had their second surge, had their other opportunity, and now you're fighting against a surging young dude, or young to the game at least, I don't know Andre Muniz's exact age, it leaves me to feel like things might not be going Uriah Hall's way, but he's still number nine ranked for a reason. He's still very dangerous when he kind of wants to be. So we'll see what version of Uriah Hall gets us. Do we get that version that comes forward and just starts letting his hands and his feet fly? Or do we get that version who's timid, who stays on his back foot, doesn't really throw much, who lets the other guy come forward and press forward and just gets behind on the scorecard so much where he's just hasn't really taken too much damage, but he's sitting here, you know, in the third round needing a finish to win. We'll see how that goes. I'll stick my money on Andre Muniz. I just feel like he's surging at this point, and I, I just I can't bet. I just cannot bet on Uriah Hall. And then the prelims, this looks like a UFC fight night main card. I mean, the prelims... Brad Tavares, Drikas Duplices. Duplices is a bad, bad man. He has been surging. I talked about Shavkat Rachmanov last uh, on Monday, and I talked about his impact and what he was able to do even on Friday before his fight night fight against Neil Magny. Duplices, not that same uh, type of recognition. He doesn't have that same surge of popularity, and, and he doesn't have the same height behind him. But a guy who finishes, every win he has is by finish, Duplices can really get it 
going. He has unbelievable striking. He could win this fight anywhere, but Brad Tavares is a freaking beast. We saw Brad Tavares against Israel Adesanya before in a fight that Izzy didn't look so damn great against. Brad Tavares gave him a, quite a bit of a problems, and we know one thing about Brad. He's durable, he's tough, and he could swing too. This one has all the makings of a really, really, really good fight. Keep your eyes on that one. I'm going with Duplices just because I... I want to get hype. You know me, man. I'm I'm the hype writer, man. I, you know me. I want to see the hype. No, nothing against Brad Tavares. He could get it done, but I want to see the hype, and I want to see Duplices not only win, but win in a way where we go, oh, this is the next guy. This is the next guy at middleweight that could really make some something happen there. Um, speaking of veterans, next fight on the card, Jim Miller, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Very concerned for Donald Cerrone in this fight. Not because I think Jim Miller is just so much better than Donald Cerrone, not because I think Donald Cerrone is that washed. Is he washed? Yes. Donald Cerrone is never going to be in the top 10, in my opinion. I don't think he even cares to ever be. I just think he wants to get some more fights, get some more money, just kind of, he wants to keep going until he feels like, yo, I can't go anymore. This is the issue. This is why I'm scared for Donald Cerrone. He's cut weight twice now. This is basically his third camp. I know this is just kind of drags over, but he cut weight for that last fight. He was cutting weight when he found out he couldn't fight anymore. To cut to 155 for Donald Cerrone is tough. Now, he's fighting this at welterweight. He's fighting this at 170, so that helps him out. He doesn't have to cut weight again, but he does have to cut some weight. I don't think Donald, I mean, if he was smart, he would kind of stay around 170. He probably walks around at 175, 180 anyway. Maybe he walks around at 185. But I would imagine that in the last week, he hasn't ballooned back up to 185, but if he has, you know, this is another weight cut. This is the third weight cut in, what, six weeks? That's tough, man. And for an older guy who is chinny, sorry, Donald Cerrone, but you are chinny. You do get knocked out quite a bit. It's just a really tough fight. Uh, for that reason alone, I'm going with Jim Miller. Donald Cerrone and Jim Miller, that's the kind of fights we want to see. Veteran guys that have been here for a long time. It's not Donald Cerrone against Duplices, for instance, right? That, I, you know how upset I would be at that fight? Like, Donald Cerrone doesn't need to be somebody that, okay, let's just throw this young dude who's probably going to be champion soon or be in the top five at one point. Let's give him Cerrone so he can use his name, style on him, get some crazy knockout. Like, don't do Cowboy like that, man. Give him these type of fights with Jim Miller. That's cool. Uh, but because of this kind of... And Donald's just such a slow starter in a three-round fight. And Jim Miller's, you know, we'll see. We'll see. This does have... The one thing I will say about this fight is it does have potential to have really good grappling exchanges. Donald Cerrone's no slouch on the ground. Jim Miller is a pretty good wrestler. They both are nice on the ground. This this could be the makings of a real good technical all-around fight where we see some grappling, we see some striking, we see two veterans that are still doing the damn thing, and we just can't feel, you know, we, we can't help but feel happy for both of them, and we can't help but be like, oh, hell yeah, those, those are the OGs. I remember those days when they were doing this and this, and to see them still going and still looking good, it could be that kind of fight. Ian Gary, Gabriel Green, I talked about Ian Gary slightly, just briefly, on Monday's episode, talking about hype trains. Ian Gary, a big hype train, however, only a minus 175, just a slight favorite in this fight against Gabriel Green. They're not doing him much favors. They're not giving Ian Gary bums. Gabriel Green's not a bum, but Ian Gary, lanky, even for a welterweight division, lanky dude. I think he's 6'2", six, 6'3", six, somewhere around that area. Ian Gary is very good, and again... I'm on the hype train, guys. I want the next Conor McGregor. I want the next big superstar from Ireland. Please give it to me. I'm going with Ian Gary. I hope by knockout his last fight. A little disappointing. Wasn't able to get the knockout, but he did get a win. It is what it is. We'll see his matchup with Gabriel Green, how that goes. And then the uh, main event on the prelims. This happens on ABC, by the way. The early prelims and prelims on ABC, which is really, really cool. But the early pre or the prelims main event, Brad Riddell, Jalen Turner. This is a fight that I am really excited for. I know I mentioned a couple in the main event. This is the fight out of all of them, early prelims to prelims. This is the one I'm most excited for. Brad Riddell, uh, number 14 ranked lightweight. Jalen Turner, Brad Riddell training out of that city kickboxing team. Israel Adesanya, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky and, and them. We saw... Uh, Carlos Olberg on last week's card. We saw him get the knockout. Brad Riddell is the next one on that team up before Volk and Izzy, and they're hoping that he gets the job done. Here's the unfortunate part for Brad Riddell. There's such a discrepancy in height. 
such a discrepancy in reach against Jalen Turner, which is not uncommon for Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner usually has that type of advantage no matter who he fights. But this could be one of those situations where I just see Jalen Turner really using that reach. And Jalen Turner's slick, man. He's got a last couple wins where by submission, rear naked chokes, Jalen Turner could win this fight anywhere. Brad Riddell, very dangerous. Big power, really good boxing, really sick strike, slick striker. But Jalen Turner, I think, is just going to be able to stay on the outside. I think Brad Riddell's going to have to really take some shots in order to get to the inside. I don't think Brad Riddell has good enough. I, I could be dead ass wrong here. I don't think he has good enough footwork and movement to get inside on Jalen Turner in angles that Jalen Turner doesn't see or counter Jalen Turner in certain ways. I just think the reach and the skill set of Jalen Turner is a little too much for Brad Riddell. I'm going to give Jalen Turner that win. I don't think it goes, uh, I don't think he knocks him out. I don't think he submits Brad Riddell, but I can see him. I'm going to give him two rounds to one and that one I'm going to give Jalen Turner by decision in that fight. That wraps up 276 and on to the next segment the very first time the debut of a new segment called flex of the week again we are highlighting a man from indianapolis indiana we're highlighting a dude who played at cathedral high school if you know cathedral high school you know indianapolis indiana if you're watching these pictures pop up as i'm saying all of this you know who this is a dude that went and played at ohio state university a guy who played three years of football redshirted his freshman year played three years at ohio state no single season did he get to a thousand yards receiving his last season his senior season racked up 700 yards got himself looked at, got himself to the NFL draft, gets to the NFL draft, gets talked about and compared to by one scout in particular, compared to Justin Hardy and was told and the, the scouting report on him was that he was a return specialist with potential to become a starter, potential to become a starter, but mainly a return guy, punt return, kick return specialist. Not only was he not that he gets drafted in the third round three years later 3,000 receiving yards later so close his rookie year 80 yards shy of hitting a thousand yards receiving his rookie year which would have put him in the elite elite class of players who get a thousand yards receiving in each of the first three seasons he was 80 yards shy of that his rookie year but coming off of back to back 1,000 yard receiving seasons just signed a three year 70 million maybe 70 million dollar extension 23.3 million per year 53.15 million in guarantees 34.6 million fully guaranteed upon signing and a 28 million dollar signing bonus this man was scheduled to make 2.79 million dollars in 2022 in this upcoming season from 2.79 million Throw on 20 extra million to 23.3. Shout out the Washington Commanders wide receiver, Terry McLaurin. Yes, scary Terry is this man's flex of the week on his brand new contract. So well deserved. It pains me. It pains me to highlight a Washington Commanders player, but this dude has deserved it. From being talked about as a special team guy, a return specialist, third-round draft pick, didn't really have the highlight career at Ohio State, shared time with Curtis Samuel, so he was kind of the other guy, and to come in, no disrespect to Tyler Heineke and them dudes, but to come in with that group of quarterbacks that he came into with Washington and still have these kinds of seasons, all credit due to Terry, Terry McLaurin. Good for you, man. You've deserved it. You are a complete baller. Please! All I ask is that you do not destroy my Dallas Cowboys this upcoming season. Good on you, Mr. Scary Terry McLaurin. All right, guys, that wraps it up. Hope you like that segment. We'll keep that going every Friday. We'll have the flex of the week for you. Uh, but that wraps up episode 63 of the Sicko Sports Podcast. Thank you guys so much if you're one of the very few that has been keeping up and watching each episode. Uh, but we'll be back 
actually we won't be back unfortunately i'm still gonna have some clips i'm still gonna have some uploads stay tuned for next week i'm still gonna be able to upload some stuff uh but i'll be out of town for my son's birthday we'll be back in my hometown of el paso texas having a good time uh with my family my son's excited my son turned six years old i'm I'm old. I feel so old that my son's turning six. It's crazy. But that's what we'll be uh, with the little man enjoying my family. I haven't seen them in a while, so I'm really excited to go over there and spend time with them. But because of that reason, I unfortunately won't have any episodes coming out next week in terms of full podcast episodes. But like I said, I have clips ready to go in the chamber, locked and loaded, already made, already edited, scheduled to come out next week. So Look forward to those videos. I still got some content for you on YouTube. If you're on Spotify, I'm sorry. You will not get episodes next week, but I'll be back like I never left the week after. And I start knocking them out over. But in the meantime, head over to YouTube. You can see the clips that I have scheduled to come out the following week. I just won't be able to take everything in order to make full episodes. Uh, and could have made full episodes, I guess, and then scheduled them for next week. But I don't know how irrelevant those would be. At the time, I don't want to release something, uh, you know, a week later from when it happened in the sports world. The whole point is to, you know, to stay relevant, to stay caught up in the news and, and stay with the trends. Either way, I'll be back, not this upcoming Monday, but the following Monday. I'll be back with another episode and we'll recap uh, UFC 276 a little bit and get into some more stuff. We'll find out what's on for you guys that week. Thank you guys as always. Have fun. Do not miss this pay-per-view UFC 276. If you watch any pay-per-view this year of the UFC, this is the one to do it. Please do not miss it, guys. Please do not miss it. It is incredible card. But I'll see you guys when I see you. Peace.